Northern southwesterly winds occasionally fresh offshore. Present temperature 30 degrees Celsius, 81% relative humidity, and there is a thunderstorm warning in force at the moment. And that's the news and the weather from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Kittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Danny. In our main topic today, we're going to be looking at the latest developments in Hong Kong's tourism industry. Visitors' numbers have rebounded, but they're still far short of pre-pandemic levels. And today's tourists increasingly seem to be shunning shopping malls in favour of historical and cultural activities. A trend welcomed by the Tourism Association, which hopes travel agents will adjust their tours accordingly. And Hong Kong isn't the only city trying to appeal to new crowds, with neighbouring Macau seeking to redefine itself as more than just a gambling mecca. So what do these new developments tell us? And how far can a new artificial intelligence tourism index help predict future trends? In the last part of the programme, we're going to get a film critic's take on the Barbenheimer phenomenon. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page. You can email us at backchat at rthk, or you can give us a call. The number there, 233 Double eight two six six. Joining us for the first section of the show this morning, we have here in the studio uh, Jason Wordy, a Hong Kong historian, author, and columnist. Um, and we also have on the line Professor Glenn McCartney. Professor McCartney is an associate professor in integrated resort and tourism management and associate dean at the Faculty of Business Administration at University of Macau. Later on in the show, we'll be joined uh, by one of the uh, key figures behind that artificial intelligence tourism index that I mentioned earlier. Uh, good morning. Uh, welcome to Back Chat. Um, uh, Jason Wordy, let's, let's go to you first. Good morning. Hi. Thank you for asking <laughs> um, me. Um, good to have you on the show again. Um, now, the... There is, a well, there is a perception that mainland tourists uh, previously came to Hong Kong to go shopping. And indeed, actually, there is a comment uh, already coming in on our Facebook page uh, suggesting, well, why, why need to go? Uh, Marcus says, so the shoppers aren't coming. Why would they need to anymore? Just go to Hainan Island instead. Uh, there is a perception that uh, uh, this is something new, that uh, mainlanders are shifting away from shopping to historical and cultural activities. What, what's your take on that? Well, the, the, the simple fact is they've been coming for this for decades. And I say decades because I've watched it for the last couple of decades and observed it. Uh, naturally, the mass market visitor will come for shopping of things that you're going to smear on your face or put down your mouth or swallow or something that you wouldn't necessarily buy with consumer confidence up there. But that's the mass market. For years and years, if you walk around Government House or you're around the old clock tower in Shimsa Choi or various other things, you'll find some mainland visitors who are there taking photographs and looking around and so on because it's something different. It's interesting you mentioned the old clock tower because that, of course, the executive director of the um, of the tourism um, association was he was actually mentioned that as an example the other day. He said, "Oh, in the past they'd be in the shopping malls. Now now they're taking pictures of the clock tower." You say that's been happening. For oh a well, long in time. The, well, in the past he evidently hadn't been there watching and seeing, which I had. And if you look about, you can find it. Now the thing is, obviously, there will be very large numbers who are in shopping malls, or more particularly in chemist shops and things like that. It's more chemist shops that they come for, but. Other places, you see it, you find them up at Chingmun, you find them on hillsides, you find them all over the place. And, of course, these are the educated, intelligent, interested person who is going to probably stay longer and spend money and come back. And this is one of the things which has been a, a Macau phenomenon for many years. I mean, I've written extensively about Macau, so it's something I might know a little bit about too. And the thing is, over there, 
of course, the mainlanders will come down and spin the wheel and spend money and go to the casinos, but that's the mass market. In the back streets, you'll find these people, and they've always been coming, and they come because it's different. Right. I'm thinking Sun Yat-sen. The trail in Hong Kong. Well, I mean, but that goes back ages and ages. This is the thing. So you will find, again, some mainland visitors will come for something like that. So you've got a, an actual dedicated trail. But you've got others who will have done their own self-study. And they'll look and think, well, that building is quite interesting or there's something a little bit different. Or more particularly, there's a phenomenon. There might be a crown on something. Oops, dear, we better not say that these days. But nevertheless, that's what people come for. A small number, and it will always be a small number because Hong Kong doesn't have a great deal of that. Pretending that it does, it does the place a disservice. There, now, is, there is that there. Now, in the end, we, we attract tourists um, to Hong Kong to bring money into the economy, of don't course. we? Let us all know a bit about, about the bullshit. We don't want them for any other purpose. Yeah, okay, exactly. um, oh. And, of course, the immediate perception is that if they're not spending money in shopping malls, um, then, then even if they're coming, they're, they're, they're putting less money into the economy because when they're well, shopping malls, they spend huge amounts. You, you seem to have a slightly different take I on that. I have a very different view on it simply because something like the Tourism Board exists really as a trade marketing phenomenon for their, their members. So it's shopping and dining and so on. When they had something some years ago, it was an old town central or something. It was a bad joke because it was all really attempting just to get people into shops. Independent visitors will stay longer. They will spend in more unusual places. They won't be putting money into the major property developers' retail arm. They'll be going into small shops. They'll be staying in other places. They'll be doing that kind of thing. You find it all over the world. And these are also the visitors, whether you be in Lisbon or Amsterdam or anywhere else, who are not pests. They're not the people who you'll be thinking, go away, don't come back, yet another Your, tour This bus. is a polite way of sort of referring to the uh, resentment we had in certain areas of the community during the height of the previous influx in 2018-19. Oh, well, and, and going back some years before where there's just too many, just beyond carrying capacity. Right. And carrying capacity is a key thing. I mean, this is where cities like Amsterdam have been working on this for some years, is how many do you want? With it, without impacting on the reasons why people go there in the first place, that's a key point. I think the I'm looking, remembering now, 1999 to 2000, when I was the first commissioner for tourism. Indeed, so yes, we're going we back a long that. way. Yeah. Um, at that time, uh, shopping and Hong Kong was shoppers' paradise was the big was the big slogan. Mm. But in fact, um, as you say, it reached an extent in places like Shangshui. Life was impossible for oh. an ordinary residents. Oh, and Yunlong, too, just up the road from me. I mean, this is the point. You don't go there on a Sunday afternoon. It's just no fun. Uh, Seung Soi, likewise. I mean, the parallel trading and all of the associated uh, fun and games with that doesn't bear thinking about. Right. Yeah. So people come to Hong Kong traditionally, and if we put a, the shopping on one side, you're talking about for business, meet, meeting and doing business, for exhibitions... Um, events. Uh, now that we've dropped the COVID uh, restrictions, maybe we can be ne next time Swifties are looking for somewhere in Asia to go. 
maybe will be considered. Well, of course, the thing is, you mentioned, people come for other reasons, and this is a similar thing with sporting events often thrown up. People will come for something else, and then if they've got a spare day or a spare afternoon or a spare couple of hours, I think, you know what, I've been in Hong Kong stacks of times, I think I'll wander up and have a look at the police station because I've never been around in there before, or something like that. They're not going to get on a plane and go there for that. No chance. Why would they? Um, but they will... Um, Go and do that if, if they're here. Right, because you then fill out the product. Absolutely. Um, I, I think, and, and then from that perspective, having things like the um, Palace Museum, which I've never been to, <laughs> I must confess, and various other cultural things, they're, like you said, it, it, not a reason to go, but they're, they're, they can fill out the day oh, if you're there for another reason. Absolutely. And, and, and certainly the case with, with mainland visitors. I mean, when I've had friends down from the mainland, they're very interested to see these kinds of things. Um, older buildings. I've taken friends up to Hong Kong New numerous times. They're fascinated by it. And just half an hour walking around, they really, really get it. They want to see that. And they love it. And, and these are people who I happen to know are wealthy or at least affluent and are prepared to spend money and will stay longer. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we're discussing the latest trends in uh, tourism in Hong Kong, and later on we'll be talking to uh, one of the originators of a new AI tourism index in Hong Kong. If you've got any thoughts, uh, do email us at backchat at rthk or hk, or you can go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free, where there's quite lively comments coming in there we'll get to shortly. Uh, let's now go to um, uh, the second of our guests, uh, Professor Glenn McCartney. Professor McCartney is uh, Associate Dean and Associate Professor at the Faculty of Business Administration, University of Macau. Uh, good morning, Professor McCartney. Good morning, Danny. How are you doing? Uh, thank you for joining back, chat. Now, uh, we talk about diversification of um, tourism in Hong Kong. Of course, the, that's been a refrain in Macau for I don't know how long. I, I, I remember, wasn't it Stanley Ho, the late Stanley Ho, saying every governor of Macau, back even in the colonial era, was talking about how Macau needed to diversify from beyond, beyond gambling. So how successful is Macau in that respect and what kind of lessons can Hong Kong learn from that? Well, the issue of diversification, of course, has been around for a while. It's been a, almost a, like a two-decade discussion because of the casinos and its liberalisation. The gaming industry and the recent uh, casino renewal of the contracts has been, really heightened the, the issue of diversification into lots of non-gaming and cultural issues and sporting events and all those things you were talking to just a moment ago in Hong Kong. So it really has put it on the agenda the diversification, of course, but through that diversification, I think some of the picking up on some of your points you were mentioning there with, with Jason is to give um, you know more reasons across the board for people to spend on more things. So uh, not just gaming, but a lot of non-gaming. And the the, the, the things that Macau faces, that Hong Kong and destinations around the world, is giving reasons for people to stay longer and spend across a range of non-gaming elements, where it be cultural and so forth. So the issue, yes, sightseeing, it doesn't generate money, but what we're finding with tourists is you have to give them reasons to spend So there's like um, um, and, and stay longer. So the, the diversification thing is basically getting a lot more spending across a lot more, more products and services in the tourism. How successful do you think Macau has been? I mean, in the end, most people still come for the casinos. Is that is that correct, or has that changed? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's gaming a- will always be centre of Macau's attraction, so that there's no good getting away from that. And any diversification efforts will be centred around that. So, you know, uh, because of the revenues and its, its footprint in Macau, so we well know that the diversification efforts will be around that. 
Um, but again, to the point of Hong Kong, I think uh, is, um, is when you look at these tourism mix, and, and we, I mean, many destinations around the world look at you know, a list of products or services which, which we go to market with, which ones will generate and attract the tourists. Right. And one thing, just, just picking up on your comment there, we understand, for example, in China during the shutdown for three years, or watching it very carefully, for example, from Macau, is there's a lot of domestic travel. So people were traveling domestically in China. And during COVID, I was able to go to China because Macau had this bridge, you know, we had this uh, ability to go to China, even with no, with no restrictions, right? And so I could see, I stayed at a, at a resort and, and was able to see just, the, the, you know, a lot of domestic travel. And I went to Hainan as well. And you can see there's a lot of shopping going on. So people, you know, what we've seen, one trend is people are, some people are staying in China and enjoying the whole of China um, mm. uh, at the moment. So that... China's rebound and jumping back hasn't been, for example, to Hong Kong, as you have mentioned. Glenn, good morning. This is Mike Rouse. Glenn, I've got to confess, I've been going to Macau for almost 50 years, and I've never been in a casino. Um, I always go for other things. Um, I go for the food, which is different, and I go for the Portuguese wine, which is different, and I go most of all for the peace and quiet. How do you market peace and yeah. quiet? Do you still have peace and quiet in Macau? Well, of course you have. The issues of, you know, experiences, these are the soft skills, right? The soft things, you know, escape from, escape to, you know. So we present products, but people have excitement. So, yes, I think people, you know, many, and I think to your point, coming back to Hong Kong again, the younger generation, what are they looking for? So these are the soft things of, like, peace, quiet, relaxation. So the, I think in any city you, you'll, you'll find these, you go and seek them, that they will be. Those, and then you go to the excitement of an integrated resort and the casino and the events and the concerts and the shows. Or you can go to the back streets and enjoy the heritage, the culture. So that's good because I've, like people like you, Mike, who don't want to go to the gaming industry, are very satisfied going to another part of the city where you can spend and have your particular tourist experience. Right. So that's very good because you cut across markets. Because, you know, um, I'm sorry, as we get older, there's going to be a new market coming in, which you're now experiencing in Hong Kong, this new generation. who have shifted in their consumer behavior, their social media trending, and they're able to, you know, they want more experiences. They want, um, we've seen how museums have adopted to that. We've seen how cultural sites have adopted to the newer generation. We want to have this, like, these, it's more interaction. And so... Yeah. Yes, they have an older generation who are going to want there, but then you have these new generations coming. And that's one of the biggest problems now. We've seen three, four years later after COVID is now how do you work with these new ge- this new generation on the travel? So, um, and how do you, and then how do you, you know, they want to go sightseeing. Yes, they do. They want to go and have experience, economy, and so forth. So it's like, how do you now attach to that? Well, of course, if if I may just jump in with that, mentioning something about Macau, is you talk about backstreet areas there and other forms of attraction. There for, really, for some decades now, there's been serious attention attention at heritage conservation. So the forts and the churches and street precincts and all sorts of things are there, and they're not a building, it's a precinct. So you go to an area and you've got a whole wraparound experience there. But also the level of expertise which is tapped into because the 
museums, larger and smaller ones, exhibitions, galleries. I'm sorry to say this, but it leaves Hong Kong in the gutter in terms of quality. It really, really does. Um, it is, sorry, let's follow up. You say it leaves Hong Kong in the gutter. Why, why do you think that Macau leaves Hong Kong in the gutter? They, they, just the general quality, because if you go to something... They're very small, the Macau ones. They're so. very small, but they're very good, and they're very well curated, and they're... Yeah, but the oh. counter-argument is very easy to have a very small good museum, isn't it, right? I mean, they, they uh, don't Or a, or a small exhibition, this is true. Um, but you can have do the same thing in Hong Kong too. And over there, there's state spending behind it. You don't find state spending here for very small things. There you do. And that's a big difference. And the level of curatorial ability is very, very high. And they tap into it. And it, it's just, it just stands out over there. And it's small things. This is the thing. And with small things, these will encourage people to go back or mm. go back again, particularly if it's domestic visitors. So someone from Hong Kong, Mike mentioned, I go yeah. there for the wine, I go there for the peace and quiet. I'll go over there when I can for a small exhibit because I think, ah, oh, that's on there. Right, I'll go in a couple of weeks and catch that. I remember so you go the back Maritime again. Museum over there. Yeah, the Maritime Museum's good. But there and are, I'm not a museum mm. person, but I went. Yeah, <laughs> but, but that's, that's a large museum. If the, up in, in Tupsec, there's a whole revolving section of small artistic things. So, Which are uh, great. Professor McCartney, does Hong Kong have something to learn from Macau? Uh, I'm just listening in there. I mean, we, we have the Grand Prix coming, and the Grand Prix Museum has been significantly rejuvenated. I've just been at it recently. Fabulous interactions using QR codes, and it spent a lot of money to, to regenerate the whole Grand Prix Museum. And I think that's very important to the point is, is what things do you choose to rejuvenate um, that are, are relevant, and, uh, and I think that one of the things too is, is funding. These things cost money, and there has to be some pride of public-private partnership. We're fortunate, of course, to have the six gaming concessions who put a lot of money into these these sectors. But I think one of the issues of public-private collaboration together. I mean, that is that is principally one of the one of the success features of Macau and why we're able to rejuvenate a lot of our. Uh, are a lot of our product, whether it be museums or otherwise. Okay. I think that's really, really important, particularly, you know, with a lot of these um, fabricated, I talk about building things, and, and, and I, I was recently in Hong Kong a few weeks ago. I went to the police quarters, a fantastic site. Well, I walked around, there's a lot of interaction stuff. You have restaurants. I, I took photographs, I showed people. I mean, that was really a, a fabulous uh, experience for me, that venue. And I think that's really good that you, you put these in and rejuvenate. And that's really important because um, that things get old and tired and you have to really think about putting money and spending behind certain things to keep them, you know, uh, like I say, even putting IT features later on, you're going to talk about AI and so forth. But you really need to put money into these things because they get worn down, but tired. Their access gets difficult. The infrastructure around it gets worn. And so, yes, you really have to put some money behind that. And that comes also from the private sector. So it's how do you engage with them and bring them on board? Um, for the reasons why, why they may want to be on board. Okay. Uh, let's bring in some comments from our listeners. And, of course, if you've got any thoughts, uh, you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can leave a comment on our Facebook page, uh, backchat on rthk radio free. A couple of comments on our Facebook page. First of all, Mike says, it's past time Hong Kong reinvents itself again. Is that possible with the present total situation? And then an uh, interesting comment from TC, picking up on a recent phenomenon among um, mainland visitors. Jason Wordy, perhaps you'd like to comment. Uh, these new trends show that past mindsets of the government and industry were short-sighted. They only want people to come into shop. 
More importantly, mainland Chinese photographing themselves eating McDonald's hamburgers at McDonald's Street. Oh, that's McDonald's actually McDonald's Road. Road yeah. And visiting other cultural sites because it feels different than mainland China. That's because Hong Kong was once a British colony. Uh, Jason Wordy, I think you, you wrote two books on Hong Kong street signs, didn't you? Right? Oh, a long time ago, yeah. yeah taken from I mean, the Morning Post column. Uh, from my understanding, right, um, the Chinese characters uh, for McDonald Road and for the restaurant are, are identical. And there has been this, nobody could ever have predicted this, this extraordinary phenomenon of people buying McDonald's hamburgers yeah. and photographing it outside. Well, of course, it. this comes in with the, the Instagram phenomenon. People like that kind of thing. And, you know, horses for courses. I mean, people do what I they mean, like to do. this is something the Tourism Association couldn't invent, right? You couldn't make, like, like so much in Hong Kong, you couldn't make it up if you consciously tried. I mean, it's where it's such a fascinating place to study for and that it reason. Clearly, I mean, there clearly are people coming, maybe it's not the sole reason, there are people now coming to Hong Kong to, to do this. So. There will be some who do, or, or if not their sole reason, but while they're here, they certainly do that. And it's a bit tee-hee-ha-ha and good for their friends when they go home and nicely uncontroversial as well. You're not going to get in trouble for that, are you? So is there more potential along these lines? I mean, again, it's just sort of... A, it's not really something you can actually lead. It just emerges organically. It emerges organically. And I mean, another, another thing that's emerged organically, and I find mainlanders participate in this, is if you go up to Gumtin near Yunlong. That in recent years has taken off as a place with lots of little eateries and cafes and things like that, very much a, a Taiwan vibe. And it really took off when Hong Kong people couldn't travel and they wanted to go and see something and do something. That was organic. I mean, no clack of talking heads made that one up. It just grew. And now that people here are travelling, it's mainlanders that are coming to visit because they come down to Yunlong to shop and they think, ah, just buzz into Gumtin. It's just down there on the bus. So you go down there on a weekend and you find just the same thing. It's very curious. It's related. I want to come to, back to Glenn on this, that the um, you talked about internal tourism within the mainland and I can certainly understand that because my son based in uh, Beijing has been going all over the mainland it was not a problem for him um, but even within in a small place like Hong Kong this internal tourism isn't there well, um, and that that was exactly the Gumtin phenomenon because yeah. I mean I, I lived there for years and years and there was no reason to go because the the wool village up the road the number of times that you'd see dishevelled hot out of town visitors say where's the traditional walled village that had been somehow promoted by the tourism board you say yeah. up the road next to the well across the road from the welcome and hold your and nose I, when you're next to the moat I, I tried but, to book yeah. the Taiyo Hotel mm. and could couldn't get in for months but the the thing with that though is that Gumtin really took off because people couldn't go anywhere. There was the new MTR line quite close by and it just took yeah. off. And one thing leads to another. And that was domestically driven. Yeah. Let's bring, because uh, we've only got a couple of minutes before the news, let's bring Professor McCartney back into discussion. Uh, Professor McCartney? Yes, hi. Hi. Uh, what do you think of these kind of phenomena we've been talking about and mainland tourists photographing themselves in front of a sign that says McDonald's in Hong Kong? And um, Is that the future? I, you know, if, if you're getting spanned across a small business and so forth, it's, it's fine. You know, I, I, I hear these discussions. I mean, the orga I think the organic things in tourism is great. Suddenly something generates itself on social media uh, and suddenly there's crowds of people following it. It's a trend. They have to go there. It's been around for years. I mean, in movie tourism, television tourism, where people go to a site that was in a movie, they will go there. You, you know, many countries around the world, be New Zealand with Lord of the Rings. We have seen this phenomena. Uh, you know, you go to the train station in London because Harry Potter was there, you know, and, and Da Vinci Code, they went to that little church. Suddenly, you know, it goes on and on and on where something becomes iconic because of something and it grows organically. What the tourism board should be doing is jumping on that 
as quickly as possible in terms of how do you use it because it's a short-term phenomena you know and i think you know as overall we have master plans in tourism which are maybe 5 10 15 years but there'll be short-term you know um 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 um, uh, windows of opportunity that we could jump on. So some of the stuff organically that happens in cities are something we could jump on very fast and, and use that as a platform it, because it will shift away some to another, something, something else will evolve into the city. So I think for tourism boards and, and, and so forth is to watch, I mean, more and more getting more savvy on the social media front and watching the footprints in there and how people are trending and watching. I think that's very important for the future. I'm wondering if there's a slight analogy here with the Barbenheimer phenomenon, which we're going to be talking about later. I mean, they, they, this idea of watching these two movies together didn't originate with the film producers, but then they seized on it. You're saying the same sort of thing, Professor McCartney, that um, when these ideas emerge, the, the, the tourism authorities should then seize on them and milk you them. You ride them, yeah. Because they're a low-cost, uh, high-impact. I mean, you know, people talk about money. I mean, but these things are, you know, social media is very can be low-cost, and these types of phenomena are a low-cost... Uh, you know, a win-win situation. So for people to say, well, all these selfies and so forth all around the world and so forth, people say have mixed mixed opinions and so forth. But I really think it's something that we can leverage off because they only have like a short-term window of opportunity. So what, why not if, it's, if, it, if it isn't in any way impacting negatively on the, on the community and so forth? Why not have a, have a, for that particular time period, particularly coming back to the point of, of generating revenues for small businesses, retail and little F&B outlets, I think it's a great thing. So this is the future of tourism then? I, I think it's part of tourism. The future of tourism is, I mean, any tourism should be, you know, a 5, 10, 10 year vision and then how we work for it. Destination branding is not tomorrow. Destination branding takes work through events, okay. through just all have, these elements. Sorry to interrupt. I, I will just have to cut you off there because we're going to take a short break for the news. Before we do, let's have the weather forecast. Uh, sunny periods and a few showers. going to be isolated. There have been some isolated thunderstorms already. There will be more. Uh, very hot in the afternoon. Maximum temperature of 33 degrees. It's rising in that direction. It's currently 30 degrees. Relative humidity, 80%. Uh, stay with us. We'll be back. <laughs> It's 9.30 and here's Stuart Pike with the news. Former President Donald Trump has pleaded not guilty to criminal charges that he conspired to overturn the results of the 2020 election and defraud the American people. Mr Trump entered his plea during a nearly 30-minute hearing at the same Washington courthouse where hundreds of his supporters have been convicted for their roles in January 6, 2021 attack on the US Capitol. And police in South Korea say a man went on a stabbing rampage near a subway station about 20 kilometres southeast of Seoul. They said the suspect was arrested at the scene. The Yonhap News Agency reported that 14 people were wounded after the attacker drove a car into a pedestrian walkway and went on a stabbing spree at a department store. And scientists in Spain have found a naturally occurring strain of bacteria which could help stop the transmission of malaria from mosquitoes to humans. Their research suggests the bacteria could reduce a mosquito's parasite load by more than 70%. And we'll have more news here on RTHK for you at 10 o'clock. Let's spend the consumption vouchers together. For Octopus users, just tap your cards. For other stored value facilities users, use the mobile apps. E-payment is convenient and easy. Spend the vouchers at local stores and online platforms. Remember to check the deadline and balance and use it up. Happy spending. Let's boost our economy. Visit the Consumption Voucher Scheme website for more. 
Many friends ask me why I'm so determined to exercise for at least a half an hour every day. Well, if you try it, you'll know why. It's all about sweating. Every time I exercise and sweat, I feel full of joy and strength. And I feel great for the rest of the day. August 6th is Sport Brawl Day. Come on, it's cool to sweat. For details, please visit lcsd.gov.hk. Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Kittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Mike Rouse. In the second half of the uh, program, uh, we're going to be continuing our discussion initially about tourism trends in Hong Kong. Uh, later on, we're going to be looking at the uh, Barbenheimer phenomenon. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on either topics, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can uh, give us a call on uh, 233 Our guests, as we continue the discussion, we still have with us here in the studio, Jason Wordy, Hong Kong historian, on the line, Professor uh, Glenn McCartney, Associate Professor at uh, the University of Macau. Uh, we're now also joined by Professor Hoi Ka- Kai Lung. Professor Hoi is a Senior Associate Dean of the Business School and Director of the Centre for Business and Social Analytics at um, Hong- HKUST. Um, and he is also one of the leaders of um, the uh, group putting together this new Artificial Intelligence uh, Tourism Index, which uh, aims to predict uh, trends in uh, tourism, uh, particularly in relation to uh, mainland visitors. Uh, good morning, Professor Hoi. Welcome, welcome to Back Chat. Hi, good morning. Uh, now, this is a very exciting initiative. I know you've been talking about it already, um, uh, but uh, you've focused uh, solely on mainland visitors, haven't you? Because you say, well, I think they're sort of 80% of our total visitors. I mean, what uses do you see for this index? Well, the index provides a forecast, right? Um, what happens in the existing practices has been that, uh, you know, the industry can only rely on past historical data. And for that, it will be kind of difficult for them to forecast uh, what would happen in the next couple of months. And I, our purpose of devising the index is to um, provide a, a you know, a tour for people to actually foresee how many tourists will arrive at Hong Kong and how the hotel usage will be like. And we utilize uh, the alternative source of data, essentially uh, the discussion on social media from mainland China. And this is also part of the reason why we focus on mainland China at the beginning, because um, it will be relatively easy for us to define what are the major platforms of discussion over there. And at the same time, they, you know, the tourists from uh, mainland China are largely uh, representing, you know, close to 80% of all the tourists now, I've been looking at your index figures. So you published index figures for the last couple of months and going ahead to September on the website. I mean, they seem to be fluctuating a lot. I mean, you're predicting a very good month in um, August. Uh, index is 92 out of 100, and I understand that translates into about 4 million visitors. But uh, you seem to suggest July was not nearly so good and that, um, um, that uh, September will be down again. Why these big fluctuations? Well, um, the tourism has always been a seasonal phenomenon, and uh, you know, over different months within the year, there has always been fluctuations. And uh, apparently, uh, based on what was uh, discussed in the uh, mainland platforms in social media, it looks like in August uh, we are expecting a, a larger arrival. Um, whereas in July, um, maybe it's a down month. Uh, this is basically all uh, based on the information that we utilize in the, making the prediction. Professor, hi, good morning. Do you think this will be useful? to the industry if they if they study the numbers that you produce I think so. This provides a general trend uh, to the overall uh, tourism uh, outlook uh, in Hong Kong, um, at least within the next two months. And I believe uh, having this number in mind, uh, the industry can utilize um, the information to help them plan for their resources. I think that's the key usage of the index, um, to give the industry an idea of how 
the tourist arrival uh, will look like, and then they can make uh, take corresponding actions um, to address it. Because it's not easy, is it, to alter staffing levels at, at short notice, or but uh, you can order extra food, I guess. Well, it's, it's not necessarily just uh, staffing and, and food, but rather um, they may also um, deploy more manpower on selected aspects. Um, say, for example, well, you know, if you look at the right paper that we have, um, there are different um, weightages given to the factors that are, that are uh, making the prediction. Well, if I may uh, ask, I mean, what, what uh, manpower would you be deploying and onto what factors particularly? Well, it depends on what people are discussing. Um, you know, uh, the index actually takes uh, information from, for example, whether people are discussing about visa, uh, the transportation, um, the uh, attractions, uh, sites. Um, all of these discussions were captured in the index. And as a result, uh, when the index is down, perhaps what the industry can do will be to uh, take corresponding measures to beef up those uh, factors, right, um, to help attract people back. Now you're looking at um, uh, you're looking at mainland social media, and we've been talking actually in the first half about how influential that is now on driving visitors to Hong Kong. But as far as I understand, this, at this stage is just a quantitative analysis, isn't it? Right? You're looking at mainland social media to to try and estimate how many people are coming to Hong Kong, not what kind of things they might be doing. Yes. Um, although we look at only mainland China right now, I think that is a big correlation um, overall with the uh, overall tourism situation. Although the social media data that we are using is from mainland China, the prediction that we make is about the entire Hong Kong's tourism arrival and hotel usage. Um, so if, if the uh, index has been um, accurate in terms of prediction, then I think um, even though the information from social media from China is used, uh, I think the prediction on the overall tourism arrival will be um, I mean, that number will be usable and accurate. I notice you also put quite heavy emphasis in your index on uh, hotel rates. Um, yes. I mean, that's one, of, and presumably this is one of the the main markets or customers for for your index, right? Uh, yes. Hotels that so they can they can work out when they can charge more, basically. Yes. So <laughs> that, that, that 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 I mean, that may be in their interest, not necessarily quite so much the visitors' interest. Well, the reason we wanted to have. Um uh, the component index comprising the arrival and hotel is because there are obviously uh, tourist arrivals who may not necessarily stay in a hotel. There are a lot of mainland visitors who are making day trips to Hong Kong now. So uh, looking at the two uh, components separately can give us additional information to the industry. Okay, and more broadly, I mean, this is this is all being powered by artificial intelligence, so it's affecting everything we do in life. If this is something, presumably, the amount of research, the manpower involved, is this something would have been impossible to do without AI? Is there still any hint human interaction? Indeed, I think it would be kind of difficult if we don't use the AI uh, techniques, because we are talking about analyzing uh, tens of millions of social media discussion, and every one of those pieces is, is something that people have written on social media, and with that volume of information, uh, without using a machine to process and an AI algorithm to, to analyze them, it will be um, you know, literally impossible for a human being to do it. Okay, um, Professor McCartney is still with us. Let's bring Professor McCartney in on this um, AI issue. Is, is this the future of well, the future of everything? Uh, we, we talk, where I work, we're talking about it, that um, um, we're going to be using AI to uh, predict tourism trends and Professor McCartney, are yeah, you thinking I, anything similar? Yes, I'm still here. I'm just listening. It's a fascinating what, what Professor Hoy is saying. I think the, 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 the future, well, we know it's not the future, as now is the use of AI across, and I think it's so wonderful that we have a, a predictive index ahead that we can, for example, two or three months 
and and to and within that be able to make some adjustments should you need to if you feel that the seasonality is dropping then some corrective actions looking at some of the the metrics that are used i think it's very very useful as a tool to help our industry and it is the future it's actually is present so there'll be much more of that in the future across um the visitor experience and so forth so i think uh, everybody has to expect more of this mm. and so i think it's very relevant to have it on your show uh, Jason Worthy, are you more of an old school or you embrace AI for tourism indicators I'm, as well? I'm very old school. I can barely use a computer. A calculator gets a bit beyond me. So, uh, so no. when these AI bots are going around um, working out tourism trends... Well, you know. I, I can't help but think that, as with anything with an algorithm, I mean, if it's garbage in at the front, there's going to be garbage coming in at the back. It doesn't, so have, depe- to, doesn't have to be garbage. It, doesn't, it? Doesn't I mean, have it, it seems like we've got a uh, well, very high-powered team working well, on this. Well, no, but I mean to say, depending on what information goes in at the front, will it will indicate what comes out at the back. So I think that's the thing. I... I don't know. I don't know enough about it to comment, but I do. I do sort of wonder sometimes just how predictions come about. From Jason, this. I, I want to come to you on something based on what Professor McCartney was saying about and, and this general trend for uh, different kinds of tourism, mm. different kinds of things that people want to do. Yeah. Now you used to have an operation that did history tours, admittedly mm. for. Uh, mostly for Hong Kong people. Only for residents, never right. for tourists. Yeah, but that's right. if we got lots of people coming out looking for different things, isn't there scope for you to go back into business and, and line yourself up with some of the visitors? No, I don't think so because I don't really want to. Ah, that's mean, different. I, that's, a, that's a different thing. Um, the, Somebody else could do that. Well, maybe they could. I don't know if they, they could, but maybe they're welcome to try. Others have tried. Um, the, the, thing, the thing is with this, with historical tourism in Hong Kong, I personally have never really got it. And the reason is there's so much here that makes sense if you're a resident. But if you're a visitor and you don't have that broader context, you look and think, oh, okay, there's a plaque there saying on that site four buildings ago there used to be something vaguely interesting. Hmm, really? Um, And then you look about. Or you've got a building. That's it. There's no context. There's no broader precinct to it. So from a visitor's point of view, I've never really got it. Also because Hong Kong's expensive. It's a high-cost destination. So if you're coming, and going back to Gumtin, I mean, I remember 30-odd years ago encountering people who'd got off the 51 bus, having crawled up over Time Machine, will have a lovely view and all of that. Where's the traditional walled village that the Tourism Association had erroneously hawked? And, of course... They were misconstrued. They were given to understand that something was there that wasn't. So they would go away. Today would be all over social media saying, do you know what, I've just spent four hours getting from my hotel, (laughs) which costs four times at night that would be in Bangkok for less, and I went to see something that I wish I hadn't bothered with. That would be all over Instagram straight away. And the thing is, as a resident... You want to go and see that because it puts the new territories into context. It's a worthwhile thing. But for a visitor, I've never really got it. Um, And I still don't get it. But for residents, absolutely. Because if you live here and you don't know about the place in which you live, it's a disgrace. I remember going there and there's a little old lady sitting outside. Oh, look. I mean, the thing, and I knew them all. It was lovely. Because the thing is, they went from being dollar, dollar to ten dollar, ten dollar. This is the thing, you know, inflation got there. And and the one I knew very well, uh, she died now, sadly. I mean, she was getting rent from several buildings. I mean, she didn't need to do it. She was dressed up in her rags and was out there. It was a little bit of extra cigarette money or something. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. 
uh, sorry to interrupt. Let, let me bring in another comment from a listener, and then we also have a caller on the line. Uh, first of all, a comment from uh, Mike. Uh, Mike in email says, Over the years, hosting dozens of visitors, I'm surprised what those tourists enjoyed. It might surprise you because you haven't hit on it yet. Double-decker bus rides, MTR in the morning rush hour, uh, contest on seeing who could eat the cheapest. Those were probably the top three on the visitors. Not visiting dead old buildings unless you're an architect. Not eating the expensive res- restaurants and not shopping per se. Keep trying, but it was the buzz of the crowds, people everywhere that was the attraction. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you very much, Mike. Some interesting, very interesting suggestions there. Um, and we also have a caller, I believe. We have caller John on the line. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Backchat. Oh, good morning. What are your um, thoughts on this, this, this topic this morning? Right, it's really to follow on from the comment from Mike just now. Um, it's basically one of the things that I think is sort of slightly killed off in Hong Kong is street-level character. Um, and it's one of the things that you used to have a lot of would be like the, the food, street hawkers and so on. Um, and I think that is really missing. It's like, where's, where's the life? Where's the liveliness? You know, uh, there's so many places that are just quiet. Um, and one of the things I wanted to highlight there was, uh, I think the tourism industry was, or tourism board was uh, doing the, the food trucks. So what happened to those? You know, well, I think the food trucks were a bit of a financial disaster, weren't they? So they were, but they were so restricted. I mean, you know, you had whatever the restrictions from the, the government department having to uh, approve menus and so on. But there's no, let's say, there's no vitality, there's no spontaneity, there's nothing like that. It's everything's highly controlled, and it's it's a bit, frankly, boring. I think that's a very valid point because they were fixed pitch; they mm. couldn't move around. I didn't know the bit about vetting the menus. Oh, look, I, I wrote a column on this one. It was quite funny because the thing is, when you look, the whole point of a food truck is it's got wheels. It goes from point to point. It goes to a school when there's after, after, after school rush. It goes to a pub area when the, they need blotting paper. And so it goes on. If they're parked at a tourist destination, this is what comes down to the problem of things being led by bureaucrats who never leave their offices and often have got very limited imagination. Let's this, go back to our caller. So what, what, what would you like to see to... Uh, sort of improve Hong Kong as a tourist destination? Oh, no, I'd like to just see more street character. I mean, it's, it's so much stuff's been removed. Uh, they might have been looked as being dirty, but things like uh, the, the street by, walkers. Dong and things like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was definitely part of Hong Kong's character and history. Okay, thank you very much uh, for joining us on Backchat. Um, let's just in the, the closing section, uh, Professor Hoy is still with us. Um, Professor Hoy, do you have any further thoughts on what's been discussed and also the balance between AI and humans looking at tourism going forward, Professor Hoy? Yeah, I, I think it was a very nice uh, discussion just now, and I just want to add one more point um, about the, the index that we generated. In fact, um, based on our um, you know big data and um, AI technique, uh, what was... Um, uh, shown was that uh, the key factor actually affecting um, the prediction accuracy is actually the discussion about tra- transportation uh, to Hong Kong. So this is um, one major factor that can help uh, predict um, the tourist arrival. And then, um, of course, uh, there are other factors like amenities that also matter. This might uh, re- relate back to what was discussed just now regarding the street characters and things like that. Um, it, it is also an important factor and visa policy and things like that. But the, the, the majority of the uh, influence seems to be coming from the discussion of transportation to Hong Kong. Can you sort of say just a little bit more about transportation? I mean, what, uh, how, how... So people how... were wondering, discussing, you know, how to get to Hong Kong, how to move around in Hong Kong and so on. So it's not just transportation to Hong Kong, it's also discussion about sort of taking buses and MTR inside yes. Hong Kong. Yes. 
And the more you see discussion of that, the indication is that the more people are, uh, are, are likely to be wanting to come to Hong Kong. That's right. That's okay. Right. Um, and the more, how about the more general issue about, um, I mean, you heard one of our guests say he, he's old school and um, he'll, he can't really see so much of a role for AI. Can AI... For can, me, anyway. I'm, yeah, so, other people, I'm sure it is, but not for Professor me. Professor Hoy, I'm sure you think about this, and of course it's something we all as educationists have to grapple with in, in, in all kinds of different contexts. Um, what, what do you think the balance is going to be in the going forward in terms of AI versus traditional means in, um, in, um, in, 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 in the tourism? industry? Well, fundamentally, it's a belief, right? Um, in order for us to rely on AI, we have to first have to believe that there are some systematic patterns. If there is systematic patterns, I think the AI model will be able to uncover it using the amount of data that we can acquire today through social media or other sources where data collection is so easy. Um, but if you um, fundamentally challenge the premise that that is a pattern, that that is something that causes people to have a systematic behavior, then uh, AI is not for you. Um, that, that has to be a belief that uh, there is some pattern that we can uh, we can follow. Uh, I think that's the premise. So AI wouldn't have been particularly useful in uh, sort of um, uh, unexpected events like COVID in the last few years and things like that. It may be if you can actually um, acquire enough uh, past observations. I, I mean, if we have information about half uh, past a pandemic, uh, how it affects uh, people's travel, then the AI model will be useful. One limitation of AI model today is that um, you can hardly make a prediction when you have no precedent. So if there is something that is total out of um, out of the blue that nobody has experienced before, it will be difficult. It will be difficult for an AI model to predict it. Okay, and let's bring in another comment from a listener. I mean, a lot, 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 lot of interest in the topic this morning. And if you if you, if you have any uh, thoughts, it's not too late to, to email us at backchat at rthk or hk, or you can go to our Facebook page, backchat on rth. HK Radio Free and leave a comment there. Um, Peter's comment in a rather different vein from most of our discussion this morning. Um, uh, Peter says, have you recently visited the mainland? Travel around and talk to the locals. Then you'll discover there are a slew of other reasons why mainlanders are less inclined to visit Hong Kong. We recently spoke with friends and locals in Shenzhen, Chengdu, Chongqing and Beijing. and They all asked us about the Western-sponsored anti-government riots and how they affected us in Hong Kong. They still remember the anti-mainland resentment, and everyone remembers the airport attack on the journalist. When asked if they want to visit or go on an overseas vacation, most of our friends, many of whom used to travel to Japan or Europe, now want to stay home or locally due to growing anti-Chinese sentiment outside. And then there's the mainland, which is really safe and organized, with amazing malls, with tons of attractions, limitless shopping, great restaurants, pubs and nightlife, and top-notch customer service and helpful staff. There are numerous and tourist and historic sites, museums and so on, all of which are well organized and in great shape. You just have to avoid the main holiday season. The streets are clean and rather quiet as there are so many electric cars. In comparison, Hong Kong looks pretty outdated and really has to step up its efforts to catch up. Thank you very much for that different perspective, Peter. Absolutely. And I, I think we touched on this earlier this week with the talk of the mainland people going over the border um, and eating and having a good time much cheaper than here in Hong Kong. We've got to up uh, our game. Jason Worthy? I, I couldn't agree more. So uh, we do, what is this, a message that Hong Kong really has to uh, buck its ideas up? I, I, think it's, I think it's a ship that sailed, to be very honest. I mean, with, with so many of the kind of mainland visitors we're talking about, why would they come here? You have to actually look it in the eye and say, why would they? And then you look at the kind that do... Um, well, yes, um, I won't go any further with that. But, but at the, 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 those descriptions are very, very accurate. Why would you come? 
Well, I mean, let's turn it around because I mean, mm. masses of people are. I mean, we've spent. Um, 40 minutes of this programme, 45 minutes of this programme, talking about the large number of people uh, yeah, who are coming. But the, and but the large uh, I know numbers, they're not back to look, the same numbers before, look, but look, huge look, numbers the are The large coming. numbers of people, we all know this, are mostly cross-border day visitors who come down to buy milk powder that they don't dare buy up there and things like that. No, hang on. Uh, that's these, a very these, significant these number. Are, they're, they're coming and they're photographing themselves at McDonald's oh, Road. The, where and they probably go McDonald's. back the same night. This is the whole thing because transport now, you can get from West Kowloon up to Shenzhen West in, what, eight minutes or something like that? I've had visitors who've come down literally for the afternoon so it's it's remarkably easy you don't have to stay down you can do all of those things in a structured one day so no um we're looking at arrival numbers oh four million people came yeah well how many stayed this is the question Oh, mm. Well, the comments continue to come in and we'll be extending our discussion on uh, tourism through, through to the end of the show uh, to, to, to take care of them all. Um, uh, John also says, interesting to see the government is pushing to have the upcoming airport city as the main part of Hong Kong for mainlanders to pass through. It will take visitors away from the old part of Hong Kong, will it not? Why? Um, Jason, were there any thoughts? Well, they're there to shop, aren't they? Keep well, well, hang on. I mean, we, again, we were saying that the fewer are shopping these days and they're doing other things. Yeah, well, is it a bit of... Is, is why, would you, why would you come association to... Association outdated on this? Oh, massively. I mean, why would you go to an airport? Airports are things to get on a plane and go somewhere else from. I mean, why would you actually go there? No, you're going there for the shops. This is, this is a whole point. Yeah, why would you fly in from anywhere... To go to, to, an go, air, to, to go, go to Hong Kong Airport. To wander, wander around an airport and get on a plane and go away again. I mean, it's demented. And they just can't, can't think why anyone would do it. Um, Professor McCartney is also still with us. And uh, Professor McCartney, yeah. any, any thoughts on these um, the listener comments we've been having in, particularly the, this issue of sort of mainlanders feeling they might not want to come to Hong Kong anymore? I mean, this is not really an issue you ever experienced in Macau, is it? But from looking from Macau at Hong Kong. Um, I mean, I, uh, this is my industry. I, I'm very upbeat and always very positive that, you know, we have challenges. Yes, we have. But I believe that because we're always a dynamic industry and, we're, and many of the points we talked before. And I think, you know, for example, to the point of it, airports, I've seen airports market as destination where they become vibrant, you know, retail. You see Singapore Airport and stuff like this. Um, and, and locals are going there. I mean, it's just about how you look at, do you see it as a, uh, in and out perspective, or do you see it being built hotels, retail around, and people going for business travel? Maybe they can't go into the city. I think you have to look at tourism. There's multiple segments, there's multiple reasons. So just to say that it's not applicable would be wrong because, believe, for example, come back to the Singapore Airport has been developed into a an experience for even locals to go to and on and enjoy the entertainment. We talk about concerts and shows, but also, for example, the retail, the shop. The interactions and so forth. So it's how you build out those particular platforms. I'm a, I have advocated that, you know, these. We did, what do we do? We see these departure points as just places where people leave and come in, or do we see it as a as, as a venue that we can also, given that maybe people can only spend so many hours, and then there's going to be people that can spend three days. So everybody has a has a different uh, profile, and uh, therefore, how do you how do you put a package together? Right. Uh, just a couple of points I want to pick up very quickly. I mean, I am not a forecaster to Professor Hoy. That's not my area, but I, I endorse it because I believe it's a, a good tool. I tell people, my students, and I tell industry to have that type of mentality, even though the forecast may go wrong, but at least you're looking ahead and you're planning for resources, whether it be labor resources or accommodation number or an, an extra, uh, an extra uh, uh, runway at the airport. It's a good mentality that you're getting ahead rather than being caught off guard and then suddenly the next day and you don't benefit from that because you have not had 
you haven't uh, um, been ready for to make the economic benefits. So I'm a big, I'm a, uh, I advocate for forecasting in AI okay. because it also gets a good mentality of looking ahead where I'd be wrong or right. Yeah. But at least you can jump on the opportunities okay. right. should um, they arise. Professor Hoy has kindly agreed to stay for the extended discussion. You're talking about the advantages model. So let's bring uh, Professor Hoy uh, back into the discussion. Professor Hoy, your, 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 your reaction? Well, first of all, I would like to thank Professor Kandi for endorsing this technique, um, you know, this approach for making forecasts. I, I think the um, uh, AI-based uh, prediction um, certainly can help, uh, especially in the sense that um, it can factor in a lot of things that we might not have uh, previously considered. Say, for example, I'm looking at uh, our white paper right now. In fact, um, the model indicates that uh, if you were to look into the future um, hotel occupancy, actually hotel price and shopping, um, you know, this discussion about shopping is a key factor. Whereas if you're talking about predicting the current month uh, visitors, um, the visa policy itself is, is a major uh, discussion point, actually. So, you know, people are talking about different things. They prepare for things in advance before they came. They will talk about shopping and price and everything. Um, uh, around the time when they are, uh, you know, making the trip, uh, they start to look into the practicality, visa, transportation, and things like that. Um, so I think this is something that uh, only the only the uh, AI, the machine, will be able to tell us because um, there is so much data out there. Uh, it's literally uh, difficult for a human being to um, you know take out all of these uh, insights. Professor McCartney, all the pieces, what I'm getting from the discussion of almost an hour now, is that all the pieces seem to be moving. Um, do we need to sit back and and maybe take a wider view of, of where the, where the future might be? Uh, Mike, I always say there should be three people in your team, one dealing with the now, one dealing with the future, and one looking back, you know, in tourism, you know, and, and that, that way you can put together a, a very good tourism strategy. Um, so to the point where, you know, at the start of this conversation, for example, one of the challenges I just, sorry, you, you, you say that there's only certain places in Hong Kong where people are going. And therefore, I call that honeypot tours, you know, people just go, and it's a challenge of how to spread the benefits. Um, uh, looking ahead. So I think I, I have to be upbeat because I think there's a lot of things said in this, this conversation just within the hour that if you just start to pencil and pan down and start working on, I think it's to the benefit, for example, the advancement of Hong Kong tourism, just even this 45 minutes discussion. There's Professor a lot of McCartney, content already in the show. If, if I may just yeah. jump in there, you made a very interesting remark about honeypot tourism, which Macau has done so well for so many years, because you'll find particularly with the historical sites, I'm thinking around Sao Paulo, where that will get bus trip after bus trip of people who don't really have much knowledge or interest in the structure. They want to photograph of themselves around it because it's recognisable. But you go down a back street and there's a church or a fort or something else there where you've got to put in a little bit of research yourself to know that it's there and to get something from it. So you're getting a multi-layering of experience there. One is mass market, the other is less so. And that's that's where Macau's been streets ahead for many, many years. Let's just give a quick response from Professor McCartney. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Again, it's, I mean, you're going to have people, you've got different levels of, you know, because somebody's walking by a museum and, and sort of goes into a museum, are they a culture tourist? Maybe not. They just it happen to be they seen the museum. So there's many layers about how people experience culture. They really are cultural tourists, but are they just accidental? You know, and, and, and sorry, that's the research that I, you know, uh, uh, but the, the, the issue is, of course, is, is to identify that. And leverage of that. So we know lots of people go to, you know, do, do a, a, a historical okay, I'm pictures. Afraid, but, but uh, <laughs> Press McCartney, we're going to have to wrap what was our extended discussion there.
uh, to an end, uh, uh, saying goodbye to Professor McCartney from the University of Macau. Um, and we're also saying goodbye to uh, Jason Wardy, who's been in the studio here from the beginning. Thank you, Thank you also to uh, uh, Professor Hoy. Very interesting discussion to this body, wasn't it? Thank you to my... Uh, Absolutely was. <laughs> uh, guest uh, presenter, Mike Rouse. Uh, it's such an interesting discussion that we didn't get, have time to get on to Barbenheimer. Hopefully we'll return to that next week. Uh, Jim will be hosting the show on uh, Monday.